Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to James chapter 5, verse 7. James 5, verse 7. If you have your Bibles, open them to James chapter 5. I'm looking at my children. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray as we look at it this morning, as I preach your word, that you would bless every one of our thoughts and meditations. May they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So COVID continues to march on, right, taking its toll. Democrats have charge of all branches of the U.S. government. Brahma face paint guy has stormed Congress. We are, I think, at the point where we're only starting to begin to feel the economic pressure uh, that might turn into a real depression. Riots are happening in our cities and at our Capitol buildings. Elections are not trusted. We have spent our grandchildren's money to grant stimulus packages, even while we're $27 trillion in debt. We've killed our children. And as scripture would put it, our streets are filled with blood. The overturning of God's order of male and female and one man and one woman in marriage continues apace. Freedom-exalting militias are stockpiling guns and ammunition. Our colleges and universities reprogram our children and plug them into the, the progressive order. Right, Freedoms we didn't even know we enjoyed are being removed. The church leaves behind the word of God swept up into political battles as if 
as if Christ's kingdom was of this world and he hadn't conquered the world through his resurrection. Churches are broken into factions, thus we complain against one another, some thinking that elders should have no right to ask us to wear face masks, and some who think it is perfectly appropriate, even godly. Right? As if all of that was not enough, and I've only scratched the surface of the difficulties that we're in the midst of in our culture, you know, toilet paper seems to be really expensive right now, doesn't it? It's crazy. It isn't? Is that how much toilet paper always costs? Really? Okay. Well, praise the Lord. (laughs) I mean, my point, though, is that, I mean, five years ago, ten years ago, uh, a year and a half ago before COVID, who would think that we would be at this point, right? Things do change quickly, and things do tend to pile up. And so we ask the same question as King David in Psalm 11, if the foundations are destroyed, what are the righteous to do? What are we supposed to do? What do the righteous do in this context? And the Holy Spirit gives us the answer in James 5, 7 through 11, and the answer is simple. It's this, be patient. Be patient. And we're like, not patience. Not patience. We hate patience almost as much as we hate authority, right? Maybe we hate patience more than we hate authority. Patience is very difficult for many of us, whether we're talking about, you know, waiting to make a purchase with our hard-earned money. We got money burning in our pocket. Um, Or whether, you know, we're enduring, being patient during the uh, temper tantrum of one of our children without then having one of our own in response to it. Right, Or in a cosmic sense, it's very difficult for us to wait for the coming of Jesus Christ to set everything straight in this crooked world. It's very difficult to be patient. Especially when we have a vision of what comes with Jesus coming, which is good and glorious. And so our passage this morning, it starts with a therefore, so we should... We should start by thinking about how it connects to what precedes it. Therefore, always indicates that some conclusions or applications are going to be made based upon what we have already been taught this, thus far in the letter. And so in this particular case, what the, with the letter drawing to a close, James could have in mind the, everything he's written in the letter up to this point. This could especially be the case because he goes on to talk about the final things, right, that the coming, that Jesus is coming, that, that uh, Jesus Christ will return at the end of the ages. So it could be summing up all that he said in this letter and getting down to the end, the final thing. On the other hand, he does mention the suffering of Christians. And so he could be looking back only to verses 1 through 5, 1 through 6 of this chapter, which concludes with this. You, speaking of the rich, have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. So enduring the trials brought upon the wicked oppression, brought brought about by the wicked oppression of the rich, and by inference, we could say the rich are the powerful, 
He could, spe- could specifically be in James' mind as he brings up the day of the Lord. There is no consolation in the midst of earthly oppression, no better consolation than thinking about the great day of the Lord. Right? Remember James' first words for the rich are not fluffy and easy. For the rich, the powerful, he says, the rich were hoarding wealth, verses 2 to 3. They were defrauding laborers of their wages, verse 4. They were living in self-indulgent luxury, verse 5, and robbing the poor of life itself, in verse 6. They are, in a nutshell, fattening their hearts for the day of slaughter, verse 5. They are like grazing animals each day, eating, growing, only getting uh, closer to to being fat enough to be slaughtered um, on that day of judgment. So how are the righteous who are being oppressed by the powerful to react? What are we to do? James says, be patient. That's what he says, be patient. How long are they to be patient? How long are we to be patient until the coming of the Lord, he says. Until the coming of the Lord. Just like a farmer has to wait through early and late rains before he can harvest his crops, so the righteous man must wait for deliverance from oppression, deliverance from the difficulties of this life, deliverance from all the cultural, the cultural hatred. Scripture often makes this point. The righteous have to wait on the Lord. Psalm 37 says this. It says, do not fret because of evildoers. Well, what in the world are we supposed to do during the day then? Isn't that all we do? Fret because of evildoers? If you listen to, you know, certain media, that's what you're trained to do. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. And later the psalm says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more, it says. And so among the many exhortations we receive in this passage, there are three that have to do with patience, and they help us broad and lengthen our definition of patience. The first is the one we have looked at, and it means to wait. To wait. That's just simply what it means. Wait. It's not complete inactivity or passivity because there is something coming. We wait not just to blindly hope that things calm, but we wait knowing that the Lord is coming. We wait with patient anticipation for God to make things right. The second, verse 8, is strengthen your hearts and has more to do with having a firm resolve, right? We strengthen our hearts so that in the face of opposition, we might not succumb to sin or uh, seek for our own vengeance and not leave room for God's vengeance. We resist going our own way or following the natural inclinations of our hearts. Our hearts must be strengthened in order to wait. Right? We have to be strengthened to be steady. And then third, James mentions in 
Verse 11, those who endured, literally those who persevered. This is more of an active verb and points toward a determination to continue on the right course, even when adversity and opposition comes along to try to knock us off that course. All too often when difficulty comes to us, we want to cut and run, and that's not perseverance, right? Of course, all too often we also persevere in our sins. We continue on the wrong course, and in that we should cut and run. Pride, pride makes us persevere in our sin. Peter said it this way, for what credit is there if when you, are, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So James is saying the same thing here. He's saying patiently persevere, patiently endure. We're often very patient with our sins and very impatient with God's inactivity as we deem it. So patience means, it means waiting, resisting, and persevering. Patience means to wait on the Lord. Patience means to resist the temptation that to take matters into our own hands. And patience means to persevere in righteousness, maintaining the right course, though it may be difficult, though it might even be dangerous. So why preach this passage today? Because we don't know what's coming. We don't know what God has for us. We don't know what's coming in our nation. We do not know if the peace we've enjoyed will continue. We don't know how long God will wait before he recompenses our nation for the sin of abortion. And that's just the top of the list of heinous sins. We do not know how long before the foundations crumble and we begin to endure the seizure of our property like those believers in the Apostle Paul's Day In Hebrews, we read of their great patience in the midst of what all of us might find impossible to endure. He says, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Yikes. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. That's a godly mindset. That's a patient endurance and persevering mindset. Matthew Henry on that verse writes, They had been mightily supported under their former sufferings. They took their sufferings patiently. And not only so, so, but joyfully received it from God as a favor and honor conferred upon them that they should be thought worthy to suffer reproach for the name of Christ. God can strengthen his suffering people with all might in the inner man to all patience and long-suffering and that with joyfulness. What it was that enabled them thus to bear up under their sufferings, they knew in themselves that they had in heaven a better and a more enduring substance. That really is the key, isn't it? How could we bear up under our property being seized without getting our guns and turning against those who were persecuting us? By remembering that we have in heaven a better and more enduring substance. 
The substance of this world is fleeting, right? It's passing away. To cling to this world is to cling to that which is temporal. To fix our minds on the true, the true earth and the true heaven, which will be established when Christ our Savior returns, that is wisdom. Right? Why would we fixate and hold so tenaciously to something that is just passing away? And do so in such a way that we miss what, that which is eternal. Well, we fight this attitude every day, don't we? We fight this battle within ourselves all the time, every day. Now think of the patience of our Lord Jesus Christ. He waited on the Lord. He waited on his Father. Right? Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours. He resisted and strengthened his heart. Or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. That's Jesus getting his gun, right? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way, right? And he says, no, no, that's not the way, right? He persevered in righteousness, speaking to his father. Jesus says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. When Pontius Pilate examined him and questioned him about his authority, he didn't squash Pilate like a grape. Amazingly, rather he speaks and amplifies Pilate's authority. Right? He says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. You have authority from God. And then finally, we learn in Scripture that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He endured it. So Jesus is our example of patience in the midst of severe trials. Even having the power to immediately change his circumstances. He had all power to immediately change his circumstances. He did not. He quietly and patiently Endured like a lamb led to the slaughter. So again, what is to motivate us to be patient beyond the simple fact that God's word commands it? What is to motivate us to wait and persevere even while we suffer? This is what the Holy Spirit teaches us here. Our motives to patience are three things. One, the coming of the Lord is near. Two, the judge is standing right at the door. And three, you have examples to follow of those who have endured troubles before you, right? So Jesus is coming, the judge is at the door, you have examples, look to them. And so the first, the coming of the Lord is near. So though it has been many thousands of years since Jesus' session at the right hand of God began, Jesus' return is near, it was near for the people that James wrote to. It was near. It is near for us. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Living as if the Lord's return is imminent will allow your life to be lived with real patience. Things will be set straight soon. Right? When the Lord returns, we know that oppression, difficulty, pain... Sin will come to an end, and, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
knowing that that is coming, we can live through difficulty here and now. We can live through the scoffing of scoffers. We can live through the pain of diseases. We can live through the, the persecution of unbelievers. Calvin on this says that the confusion of things which is now seen in the world will not be perpetual because the Lord at his coming will reduce things to order. Because of that, our minds ought to entertain good hope. Because of that, we should, we should have good hope. So be patient. God will put all things in order, and you will not be disappointed at his order. He will honor his children, and he will welcome them into his eternal Sabbath. Secondly, the judge is standing right at the door. And not only is there a final deliverance, but God will judge those people who upset you, who persecuted you, who plagued you in this life. I mean, think of the psalm we, we sang, Psalm 5. Do you think about the words that you're singing when you sing? Right? What did we ask for in that psalm? What did we pray for? What was the main prayer of that psalm? That our enemies would be crushed. Hard thing to pray. Hard thing to pray, but that's the way the Psalms teach us to pray, right? And so the judge is standing right at the door. He will bring perfect recompense to all his enemies. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. What is hidden will be revealed, and the sheep will go to the right and the goats to the left. God's people not only will be delivered, but will be vindicated. Vindicated. Isaiah 55, 17. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. That is coming. You will be vindicated by the Lord, and that will be much better than you getting frustrated by life's circumstances and attempting to dole out your own petty vindication or petty vengeance. And this is godliness to patiently endure. But there is a revolutionary in each of our hearts, right, that does not want to patiently endure. Others, and then third, others have done it before you, and that pleased God. And look to those examples. Interesting that what examples he gives of those who have been patient. The prophets and Job. The prophets and Job were patient. Job, we can understand, and his, his life even becomes a proverb, right? When someone suffers through something, we say he, he or she had the patience of Job, right? Though Job lost his flocks, his servants, his livelihood, all his sons and daughters, and his health, he could still say, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, do you feel how hard those words would be for Job to say? And Scripture tells us through all this, Job did not blame God. 
And the example of the prophets is interesting. James says that the prophets are an example of suffering and patience as they spoke in the name of the Lord. The, the persecutors of the prophets were the people of God. The people of God's nation. Their message of judgment, right? The prophets' message of judgment, their message of warning, their message of repentance was rejected by God's people. And the privilege of the people of God in receiving the word of the prophets was met with scoffing, was met with anger, persecution, rejection. Jeremiah, in, in the face of strong persecution from God's people, would write, You know, you who know, O Lord, remember me. Take notice of me and take my vengeance for me on my persecutors. Do not, in view of your patience, take me away. Know that for your sake I endure reproach. Your words were formed and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And he talks about his patient endurance of this persecution. Here we have the example of one who knows that God is for him, right? And will persevere, will be patient through the difficulties. So this, these examples stand for our encouragement. Jeremiah trusted in God, though even God's people would have seen him dead. So take heart, Jesus' coming is near. God will judge, and others have suffered as you are. Stand firm. Now, a few further points of application. Patience, on the one hand, does not hide its head in the sand like an ostrich, right? God's church and God's people still have enemies. To say be patient is not to say be naive, be stupid, right? Be passive, be a martyr all the time and everywhere. Um, to say be patient does not dissolve everybody into the category of benevolent friend. Right? Jesus, the most patient, turned over tables in the temple and drove out the money changers uh, with, with a whip. Jesus' patience did not lead him to love sin, right? to overlook sin. So if difficult times of persecution come to us or if God, God's patience ends with our bloodshed and he allows enemies to take us down, we can still throughout all that Appeal to proper authorities, make complaints to magistrates, take action through elections, and make lawful appeals right to the state. But at the end of the day, the individual person cannot resist the sword of the state. The individual person cannot resist the sword of the state. We will always have as our guiding light this statement from the apostles, right? We must obey God rather than men. But having said that, we may have to take our 39 lashes like those men did after they said that. Right? And they were able to do that, able not to then pick up arms because they knew the day of the Lord was coming and that it was near. And knowing that, they patiently endured and counted it as joy to have suffered for Jesus. Let's also be careful not to sanctify our cowardice by calling it patience. Fathers, all too often, we don't deal with our sons or our daughters or our wife's rebellion because we say we're practicing patience. Right? I'm a very patient man. I don't get angry. 
Mothers, all too often you don't deal with your children because you say you're being patient, you're showing grace. And so patience not only leads to passivity, but it leads to turning a blind eye to what is obvious to the whole world and what God has given you authority to deal with. Patience becomes a pious covering for our laziness and even our love for sin. Patience becomes the excuse to deny God's word, which says, spank that child and discipline it. Patience becomes our excuse to set aside the authority that God expects us to use in godliness. Your home may be a wreck because of your ever-present patience, which really is no patience at all. It's just passivity and a lack of love cloaked with what you are calling patience. Patience is not abdication. Patience is not overlooking sin. Patience is not convincing yourself that what God hates is actually okie-dokie fine. Patience is not calling good evil, and patience is not supporting tyranny, right? But patience is living now in the knowledge that Jesus Christ is and will set things straight in the future. If we were progressives, right, if we were just modern progressives, pagan progressives, we would say that we must set things right in this world, and we must do it now. Right? But the church, continuing to preach patiently the whole word of God and to love our neighbors, doesn't need to be frantic. Does not need to be frantic. We know what lies ahead and we wait for it patiently enduring the godlessness of the world. Right? Which, which is nothing new. Which is nothing new for any age of the church. And finally, look at the last sentence of this passage. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Job, as I've said, had to endure great difficulties, afflictions brought to him directly by Satan himself, afflictions brought, you know, afflictions of, on himself, his house, his children, his livelihood. But that was not his end, right? In the end, he was given back more than what he had. House, children, livelihood. And in that return, he learned of the fullness of God's compassion and mercy. All of us will have the same experience, though perhaps not in this life. Right? All of you who believe in Jesus will find that those things that seemed impossible to patiently endure here will be forgotten in the blessedness of everlasting life in God's presence. Those things that so trouble you will just fade into the distance. Once we have tasted that goodness of that eternal life, we will say that we could have endured thousands of years of an oppressed life. That's what we'll say. We could have endured many thousands of lifetimes of oppression just to taste a minute of the goodness of the presence of God in heaven. And that is the Apostle's point in Romans 8, 16 to 18, and I'll end with that. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared 
with the glory that is to be revealed to us. No comparison. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. We pray he comes quickly. Until he returns, we live faithfully and we patiently endure like all the saints have done before us, what all God's people in all and every age have had to endure. We wait patiently. Amen?